Welcome to the 176th episode of the Young Terms Podcast from the Viner Fourgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner, and in person, your co-host, Jordan Viner, back in Maryland. Oh, this is the last day, but we did manage to do one while I'm back in town. And we have a full podcast talking Terps basketball, the start of the season, uh, now three games in, and Maryland's loss to Indiana which was kind of, uh, I don't really know what to say about that, but we'll get into that too. Uh, before all that, this podcast, as always, is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied has what you need to host your events safely during these times. Outdoor weddings, they can provide the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories that you're looking for. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMB today, you can contact Allied at 301-986-0067 or on the web at AlliedPartyRentals.com. Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown. Yep, a little bit, uh, got some stragglers from what should have been last week, but we didn't record one last weekend. So, Javon Leak, former Maryland running back, has signed with the Washington football team to the practice squad. Wouldn't be a big thing of note, but Mason has been screaming from the pulpit to get him in the team. Yeah, they needed a kick returner. Not as much now with Sims back, but they needed a kick returner, and Leak's a guy that can do that and make big plays. And I'm not... Oh, I don't think that Sims is very good. I think he takes way too many risks. I'm not sure why anybody takes the ball out of the end zone anymore in the NFL, but or in college for that matter. Um, also from last weekend, two former Terp QBs battled it out in a CUSA bout. Tyrell Pegrome bested Max Bortenschlager as Western Kentucky defeated FIU 38-21. to uh, kind of just a cool oddity, I think, in the schedule for Maryland fans. Yeah, Bordy threw a pick six and then fumbled for... I think another touchdown back-to-back plays, and he hit the bench pretty early. Yeah, but still, they got the start in. Um, on the men's basketball side, the game against Monmouth has been canceled, quickly replaced with a duel against the Towson Tigers. Mason, they're ha- still really focusing on the local teams, which makes sense. You don't get a plane necessarily right now, but something that you were quite happy with. Yeah, again, I like this whole schedule. Teams that I know that are local that... You know, there's some connection to, and if there were fans, that would bring fans. So uh, I like it, and, you know, it should be, I think, every year. So just to save money like every other sport does, Towson, Mount St. Mary's, Navy, you know, Coppin State. There's so many teams around here. I just don't understand what the need is to bring teams in to play Maryland. And speaking of Coppin State, former Terp and member of the 2006 National Championship team, Laura Harper, coached her first game as the head coach for the Coppin State Eagles. Um, the Eagles now have two Maryland National Champions, sorry, champions on the sidelines. Yeah, and they lost to Penn State by, what, 40? Uh, 41. Yeah, Coppin State's not a, exactly a high-powered athletic department, but still, you know, two national champions from Maryland at the sideline, another well, state school is kind of cool. The men's team looked good. Yeah, they did. I can't remember who they played, but they Duke, played them. and they played them really they close. Played them they tight. lost by about 10. Uh, but two rebuilding programs. I mean, Coppin State. Now, the men's team is better than it once was, but at one time was the worst team, I think, in uh, all of Division One college basketball. Yeah, and like those, uh, you know, the CBS 319 rankings, um, Coppin State has been at the bottom quite a few times. They're not a good LA department. It's just, it's just how it is. They're not well-funded. They're an HBCU in a poor part of Baltimore. It's, it's just not a great situation, but Juan's done a good job at least making them competitive in the MEAC. Yeah, we'll see what happens, but great to see, you know, when you have players that see those kind of successes and and live out what I 
guess it's a dream, you know, to stay in basketball or football or whatever sport you're coaching or playing and then be able to coach uh, and, and make a career out of it. The Lady Terps dominated their first game of the season against Davidson 94-72 to in the Beach Bubble. They also lost to number 24 Missouri State 81-72. to uh, Jordan, what is – what's the situation? I mean, Missouri State's a ranked team, but not what you want to see out of a Maryland team that has a great upside, I'll say. Yeah, I wish I had Todd uh, Carton for this one, as I'm sure he would have detailed analysis what happened here. But obviously, I didn't watch this one. It's on Flow Sports, and for those who don't know, Flow Sports is very expensive. But the Terps lose 81-72 to the Missouri State um, Bears. A team, by the way, in my alma mater, soon to be alma mater, North Carolina State's football conference. But Missouri State's good. They're number 24. We all know mid-majors tend to be underranked, even in women's basketball. So they might be better than that. But really, the Terps played well in the first half. They're up by nine at the half. But they only scored nine points in the third quarter, getting outscored by 14 points. You can't have that happen against a ranked team. And they just did not have a good second half. It's not its not what you want to see from this team, who many have national, cha- cha- sorry, national championship aspirations attached to. But it's going to happen. You're going to have early season hiccups. Kentucky just lost on the men's side to Richmond. I mean, you still expect them to be in the title contention late in the season. So... Calm down, but you need to see a rebound today when they play Arkansas, another very good team. Uh, that game will tip off um, at about an hour from when recording this, so we're not going to get to that today. But watch that one. If you lose that one, then you can start getting worried. Yeah, I'll say so. And and it's going to be a tough year for a lot of teams. I think a lot of upsets are coming on the basketball. You know, you don't have home courts to propel you to victory, and I think we kind of saw that with Maryland. But uh, at least they brought their own juice earlier today against the Mount to finish it off with a pretty good run. And that kind of segues us, I guess, into men's basketball. It kicked off the season with a win uh, late last week over Old Dominion, 85-67. to Jordan, what were your thoughts on that one? Um, I was one of those chumps who ponied up for BTM Plus for that one, so I did see it. And honestly, I was encouraged with what I saw um, in both the early games, actually, against Navy even more so. But the Terps have looked good. In the first two games especially, they looked really solid. They looked like they were in control. They ran the offense well. They got moving the ball well. They didn't have those ugly ISO plays that we've gotten accustomed to seeing with Maryland where they, you know, give it to the point guard and with 10 seconds on the clock and he just dribbles around and takes a three. That didn't happen as much. They really did a better job spreading the ball around. And maybe that's because Eric Ayala is not a natural point guard. I still don't think he really is. He's more of a shooting guard who's in that role. But it's kind of working so far. Durham Marcel has looked really solid this first two games. I'm lumping them together because I don't want to stretch this out to make it an hour long. Um, Galen Smith had a really rough first game against um, Old Dominion, but he's rebounded well for the most part. He still has foul issues, which you expect to see almost with the grad transfer bigs. It seems to be a recurring theme. Jairus Hamilton's looked quietly solid. Dante Scott's looked good on the bench and in the starting lineup when he's had it. Shaw Mariel is a point that we need to get back to, um, but overall you have to be encouraged by the first two games specifically. Yeah, you do, and uh, I saw some of the Old Dominion game, listened to some of it on the radio. Just seemed like Maryland came out and they were the better team, which is what you expect against Old Dominion. Uh, I think that, I mean, when we were driving back in the car today, listening to the, about the first five or six minutes of today's game on the radio, somebody needs to tell Aaron Wiggins that he is the guy. It's got to come from him. I mean, Morcell is solid. Ayala's solid, but I think it really comes down to Aaron Wiggins because they're not great inside. Hamilton and Scott 
they aren't big men in this league. They're big men in games against Navy and Mount St. Mary's and, and Old Dominion. That's fine. But Wiggins has got to pick it up. He's got to be the guy. And I, I, I'm not that greatly encouraged by his start. He still looks like the sixth man of the year type guy that doesn't really have – they don't have it. You know, they don't have a Cowan. They don't have a Trimble. And they got to find a replacement for that guy. And it's got to come in the early season. And this is when you have an opportunity to figure things out. Well, I might have to break my basketball nerd side out, which I do try to keep under wraps in this podcast because it gets into it sometimes. But the Atlanta Hawks in the early part of this decade – um, I guess this last decade now, the early 2010s, really did not have a guy. But they were a great team, and they had a lot of really solid guys. And I kind of hope that Maryland can become a team like that. And I don't know if that's really going to happen under Trojan, but you would hope your best-case scenario is a team like that where you don't have one guy, so the team is forced to spread the load and starts to play better as a unit. And I've seen signs of that. I'm not saying it's going to happen or going to translate against Power 5 opponents, but... Whoa, 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 which Hawks are you talking about? The Atlanta Hawks. No, no, Josh Smith. Oh, no, no, the ones with Paul Millsap, Al Horford, that that team. Yeah, but you see, the difference between them and this team is they were dominant on the inside. You're talking about a team that, as of now, has no center. And that is a major issue, and it's something that will raise alarms for a lot of people, including myself. Jalen Smith has got to stop fouling, or Troll has to step up. But Troll has been one of the only things in this first three games that's really um, concerned me. Right, and if you look at dominating teams, but if if you want to take that one into depth, though, they also had Corver, who yeah. just drained threes. Maryland doesn't have that guy unless Wiggins turns into it. But I think Ayala can. I think he can shoot well enough. And the other thing, low-key, and I, this is something you need to caution yourself against because you know who you're dealing with, but Darren Morsell has looked really, really good from three so far this season. Okay, and I don't mean to rip apart your analogy. I'm just pointing out that you took a team that was dominant on the inside in a league overall NBA. Doesn't have a lot of great double big men with the true power forward and true center. Well, that's a good point. And so they were something completely different, which is not unless Maryland. I mean, we'll get into it here in a second once we talk about the game today. They may just have to run small ball and spread five around the perimeter and play like that for most of the game. And. and Let's kind of get into it. Today, completely different story. Kind of breezing over the Navy game. They dominated Navy, which was a team that, out of if you had to tell me out of the three of these that would put up a fight against Maryland, I would have said Navy. But yeah, I would agree. Navy also, you have to say, beat George Washington pretty handily earlier this season. Yeah, so they, they get by Navy well, and, and everything looked good enough. And they come into this game against Mount St. Mary's, who I, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought the Mountain had a fairly good team. Yeah, they did. They looked really good. Um, they were really good inside them. Malik Jackson, dude, I think that was his name. If I, it's not, I apologize. But their power forward for the Mount really played well against Chol and Dante Scott. I mean, Dante Scott, we saw play well against Big Ten big men last season. So th that's worth mentioning. Um, but it was tied at 52, if I remember correctly. And Maryland won like a 20 nothing run. But I, we were watching the game, flipping between that and the NFL. And I was telling Mason that it's kind of good, at least, that we're competitive right now because at least you get Maryland gets a taste of a, comp of a competitive game before they play uh, Clemson in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And they responded to it. To their credit, they read out, uh, ripped off a great run. They played fast. They played great perimeter defense. They caused turnovers. And they exploded out from that point. Yeah, and that was Malik Jefferson, Jordan. Sorry. That, that was his name. Eight of nine for him in this game. He gets 18 points along with Jalen Gibbs. 
who hit five threes, four of, or three or four of which were in the first half. He gets 19 points. I was not impressed, I'll put it that way. You know, I, I think that starting Chole kind of threw the whole thing off. I mean, Chole's just not there. He's a near, and I could come back to eat my words here, he's a near non-existent player. I mean, he, he's an offensive zero on defense. He just, he needs to hold on to the ball. And, and when I mean hold on to the ball, I mean really take hold of it. Right now he just looks shaky overall, and they started him off, and, you know, a few threes go in for a team like Mount St. Mary's, and Jordan just pointed out, Richmond beat Kentucky today. I mean, in college basketball, especially without the fans, things like this can happen to you where a team like a Mount St. Mary's comes in and they beat Maryland. But for the Mountain, the ball just stopped going down the hole. I mean, they were 0 for 10 when Maryland was on like that 17 to 20, uh, 17 20 0 run. And the Terps ran away with it. And you can call it lucky, you can call it whatever you want, but great fight from the Mountain. And bad, just bad play on the inside. And you're right, when Galen Smith got into foul trouble, Maryland just didn't have, have the guys down there. Yes. And, you know, you don't want to say it all negative. So Jarius Hamilton and Dante Scott both look really good this season so far. Hamilton, 5 of 6 from the field. Scott, 7 of 10. They both can shoot the three ball really well. They both can rebound well enough. The question is, and this is something that we've kind of privately held our suspicions about, is is your best chance going to be Jarius Hamilton and Dante Scott, neither of which was harder than 6 to 8 in real life? And Yeah. And I think that's the problem. The other problem that I'm going to point out early season is the second tier of guys is, is tough right now. Uh, Aquan Smart isn't doing much on offense. I think he's fine as a ball handler, which is important. That's something they could have used if you go back a few years. Yes, it is. You know, just a secondary ball handler uh, with a lot of talent around him. Hakeem Hart, the errors that he puts up are like, they're true errors. You know, he steps out of bounds. He misses passes. Today we were listening to the radio, and it wasn't Hakeem Hart, but they said somebody tried to fire a no-look pass and just threw the ball out of bounds. Yeah, um, going back to Hakeem Hart, He's someone who I really want to do well, but as Mason knows, he's just driving up the wall because of his, as you say, just mistakes. He makes mental errors that you can't make. He steps out of bounds. He misfires balls. And I think there is a good player buried in there, but he needs to get some confidence. and needs to get some court awareness. Galen Smith um, is an interesting specimen to dissect. He's he's kind of what you need him to be because, again, Dante Scott and Jarius Hamilton can both shoot well enough and score well enough that you don't really need him to be able to score. But... He gets in foul trouble. Right. You said he he is what they need him to be, but that's I, I think that's false, actually. Well, I'm saying if you exclude the foul trouble, he's what you need him to be. Yeah. But you can't, though. Because what no, he I'm is, not saying you can't. What he is is a post-banger, a secondary guy that this team, again, another guy that I feel like they could have used a year or two ago. If they had him instead of Sean Obi, I feel like they would be much more successful that season. Now, what they're getting is a guy who I think is going to be in a similar situation a lot. The DeMonte Dodd. I get four fouls, and I can't score. I mean, you're looking at a player. If somebody gets four fouls, and today he had four points, he could foul, and off of his fouls, the other team could outscore his total points. Yeah, that is a fair assessment. Now, what does he give them? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's just going to be a game-to-game basis. And if he's inconsistent... I mean, that's what you can expect out of a grad transfer from Alabama who didn't really play much or was very, wasn't very successful there. Yeah, and, that, and that's fair. And Galen Smith is going to have to clean up the fouls. And he just, again, I think he just needs to be a basic, like, 1990s big man. 
you just hang around the basket, get some rebounds, maybe get a couple easy buckets, and don't get, don't foul. That's what I need him to be. He needs to protect the rim and not foul. And so far, he hasn't done that. I'm not saying he won't, but it doesn't look great. Chol Mariel, as we have said, is a problem at the moment. And I don't want to call him, like, call him a problem because he seems like a nice kid. He seems like a good guy to be around. He gives the team good energy. But he still can't score. He didn't get a rebound today. He just got killed in the post by, uh, what was his name, Malik Jefferson? Mm-hmm. He really did. Um, he only played seven minutes despite the fact that it seemed like this coaching staff wanted to play him more. But he, they couldn't because he wasn't getting killed so badly. But you're gonna definitely going to see him try again next game when they play. Um, sorry, who's next? Mason Towson? Yeah, I think Towson's next. If Towson's next, he's definitely going to play again. You're going to see – they're going to try to get some traction before going into the hard part of the schedule. But it doesn't look great. And then you get to, like, the core four, five guys, which is Ayala, Hamilton, Scott, Wiggins, and Morsell. And those five guys, I think are fair to say, are pretty good so far. Yeah, I, I would say so. When you go back to Chole, and another instance of, I think, my coaching versus actual coaching, would be you got to sit them down and say – Protect this part of the court. You know, you don't need to catch the ball in the wing. You don't need to be on the wing. You need to be down low in the post. And when you catch the ball, you got to hold it over your head, pivot. You don't really need to dribble. Pivot, turn, and dunk. I mean, the... And I've always had this issue with Maryland. They don't dunk the ball enough. You know, today, Wiggins missed a layup on a breakaway. You know, when, and when you're dealing with a guy like Troll, you got to catch the ball, you got to hold it up your head, you got to be strong. And and I, there's no way that he's not strong enough to make simple basketball plays like that. And then on the defensive end, he might struggle to box people out because the strength's just not there. He's not built like that. He's not built like Galen Smith. He's not a six eight, you know, like big guy. He's seven two and and lanky. Uh, so it's really up to the coaches to find a way to make that work. You know, this is the big guy they have. This is your secondary big man. Uh, so you got to figure it out. And just another instance of poor preparedness through recruiting. Like, sure, they brought the Mitchell twins in, but they had known issues coming into the school. You know, and you're relying on those guys to pick it up, get everything together, and, and be big men for you for the next four years. And they leave, and now you're dealing with a grad transfer guy who's you're not really sure what you're going to get out of on a night-to-night basis. And a 7-2 guy that I really don't think can give you much more than seven minutes in the Big Ten. Well, that reminds me, and I forgot to bring this up. Um, James Graham is coming to campus to play. Um, Graham is a 6-8, small forward from Michigan. And a lot of people have high hopes for him. He might be a boost, but he's he's not what the team needs. They don't need another wing. And I'm not saying he won't play. I think he might play. He might be good for all I know. But they really could have used a infusion of big man talent, but what do you think his role is going to be in the team? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. And, you know, a lot of people are hyped up to get this guy into campus, and in the back of my mind, at least, and this is just me, you're looking at a high school athlete, not in the college strength and conditioning program. You, he, he may be in playing shape, but this is another level. You know, even in a game like today against a team like Mount St. Mary's, it's another level of basketball. You know, these guys get so much more practice time. They're in the gym all the time. They're with the team all the time. He's going to be coming into the situation mid-year. And, look, you can't take a kid out of high school and put him in a power forward in Big Ten basketball. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. And something that 
is really something people need to consider is he has not spent the summer strength and conditioning. He hasn't practiced with the team yet as far as we know. He's not going to play. I mean, you really can't expect him to play for, what, a month? Maybe two weeks if you're really optimistic. Like, he needs to get in the, the – he needs to understand the competition he's going into. We don't have, you know, ten non-conference games here. We have two more – or three more, sorry, because Clemson's in there too, but they're basically another Big Ten team if you want to equate it like that. Like, this is going to be tough for him to get on the floor and really contribute. And I'm not saying he can't do it. I really hope he can. It's just an uphill battle for him. But, you know, this season's the season to do it. He's not going to lose eligibility for it. So maybe he'll be in there and be an X factor. But on the whole, I want to emphasize this before we get off basketball. I'm not down on this team. I think they can make the tournament still. So do I. So do I. And it's a challenging position they're going to be in, I think, this season. And I'm don't really think you're going to see it until they get into Big Ten play. And I mean, and by Big Ten play, I mean, like, really the teeth of it. I think that's when you really start to see the wear that not really having a big guy will put on them. I, I kind of like some of the adjustments that have been made, but the jury's definitely still out. I mean, you're three games in, three kind of pushover teams. You're going to get two more games against teams that aren't, aren't very good in Towson and George Mason. Hopefully they get to keep playing these games. And then you're up against Clemson. Yeah, you got Clemson, Rutgers, LaSalle, who I forgot about, was in there, but they're not exactly pushover either. They yeah, I don't, put, I don't put them in that category. And then you're really into it. So you got some time to figure some things out, and, and let's see what those adjustments are. And, and with that, let's talk some football. Yes, we shall. But before we do that, Mason, it's time for a Big Ten roundup, and it was kind of a weird week in the conference without Ohio State there and without Wisconsin. Yeah, so Ohio State and Wisconsin don't play this week due to COVID. Uh, of course, the game's being really spread out this week from Thursday to Friday into Saturday. Yeah, um, that the Thanksgiving week's always weird during college football when you have the games so spread out. Only four games this week, three of which um, we're or four of which we're going to talk about. Um, so start off with a big one: Penn State ekes out a win over Harbaugh's Michigan, and man, that seat is on fire for Jim Harbaugh now. Yeah, I think this one might do it, and. Uh, this is surprising to me. I mean, Cade McNamara and Joe Milton are just bad football players. They're just not good at the quarterback position for Michigan. Um, Hassan Haskins, though, the running back for the Wolverines, he's a, he's a pretty good player. Uh, Clifford and, you know, two teams that are splitting time at quarterback. Clifford and Leaves or Leavis, the other quarterback for Penn State, they pulled it out. You know, big running plays from both of them, and, and they score, and, you know, it was a battle to who gets to 21st. Um, of course, yeah, as you said, Harbaugh's really in the water now. Franklin may have bought himself some more time. We'll see. Uh, Rutgers pulled off a huge victory over Purdue, 37-30. to um, A shocking result for me, at least, but great for Greg Schiano's program. Yeah, another good one for Schiano, and I wouldn't say that's shocking. Purdue has just found a way to lose some games over these last two years where they're supposed to be really competitive, that kind of show that Brom and Matt Campbell, you know, this kind of pool of coaches that everyone's like, this guy's going to get the big next major job. He belongs in NFL coach. But a lot of those guys seem to keep finding ways to lose. Like, last year I think Purdue lost to, they ended up like 7-5, and five. people had him pick 10-2. and two. This year they lose a game to Rutgers. They lost a close game to Northwestern. They got to find a way to win some of these games if you really want, and I'm talking from more of the coach's perspective, if you really want to be the guy, you got to win games like this. And there just seems to be this pool of coaches that are just hanging around that kind of mid, that just midline. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Tough one for Brom and Purdue, but they're not. He's not dangerous losing his job, unlike some other coaches on this list. One of which might be Scott Frost. Yeah, I'm not buying really into what Scott Frost is selling anymore at Nebraska. I never really was. Um, they don't have a quarterback. Martinez and McCaffrey. McCaffrey is a really interesting guy to watch. I would encourage you guys to watch him if you're interested at all in kind of what a, I guess, half quarterback, half running back looks like in uh, the modern age of college football. But McCaffrey and Martinez fail to do it. Uh, they fumble. They just turn the ball over too many times. Iowa, a team that you can't do that against. And, and the Hawkeyes pull it out 26-20. This game, regardless of how bad the two teams are in it on either side, seems to be within six points every year. Yeah, it really does. It's a good rivalry that's budding at Nebraska stays in the conference, which of course has been a little bit under scrutiny recently. And finally, a heartbreaker for many Big Ten fans as Northwestern Northwestern's incredible streak ends number eight falls to Michigan State twenty nine to twenty. Yeah. And I kinda would like to say that I've been saying this one for a long time. They didn't turn the ball over and they beat the number eight team in the country. Michigan State you're referring to, of course. Yeah. They've had all these problems, and I've said it's all the turnovers, it's all the quarterback play. They get something going early, they get a touchdown on them, and Northwestern's not a team that's that's going to come from behind on you. They're just not. They got really close. They just couldn't seal the deal. Peyton Ramsey uh, wasn't great throwing the football, and and that's the Northwestern that I expected to see this year. They're a solid team, but they're not the number eight team in the country. And we have to discuss at this point, and I haven't put this off, the implication that Ohio State may not make the uh, college football playoff. So the Buckeyes need to finish their season. They need to play two more games. That's really up for debate if they're going to make it, though. If they don't make it, that almost eliminates the Big Ten from the playoff. Yeah, it really does after Northwestern loss because Wisconsin's in the same boat. Uh, it would be really unfortunate for the conference, but I'm not exactly sure who's going to end up in this playoff. Well, there's a very large contingent of people, it seems like, that want Cincinnati in there just for the proof that it's not rigged, if you want to call it that, against the group of five teams. Um, that certainly did not get any, uh, didn't get much reprieve after BYU was completely shafted, in my opinion, in the um, initial playoff rankings. Yeah, they really were. And uh, going into these next couple of weeks where the decisions are really made, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I'm not exactly sure of Notre Dame, if they lose the ACC championship, what happens to them. I'm not sure what happens to I mean, Clemson needs to win out, but nah, it's too early. It's still really too early. It's weird that you're only like two weeks or three weeks out from really knowing what's going to happen, and you're still saying, I don't really know anything, because this season's been such a Frankenstein of a mess so far. Um, but let's get into the chirp. Speaking of Frankenstein messes, you have to start this game based by saying 23 players are out for Maryland, and they still competed. Yeah, all I hear when I hear that, and this is my take, and again, I mean, I encourage everybody to form their own opinion, is you have 23 guys are out, but you knew that, you know, and they didn't practice for two weeks. I think that's way more important than the 23 guys out. They did not practice for two weeks. So you have 23 guys out, you didn't practice for two weeks, and you probably still should have won this football game. Uh, they lose 27-11, to 11, and it's hard not to put it on the quarterback. And before we really start looking at this, because it's going to be mostly negative because you did lose by 16 points. This is the most optimistic I've ever felt after losing by 16 points, because we all know this. We've all watched this team for years now. Maryland is in the situation last season, the year before. They gave up. They're not out there as hard competing as hard as they should be. And I know give up's a strong word, and maybe that's not the one you want to use, 
but they don't compete like that. They don't go out there and win. And you, you're not saying they should have won the game after losing. This is Indiana team we know at this point is pretty good. And Mason disagrees a little bit, but I will say they're pretty good. And they still went out there, and you still feel like you should have won the game. And I think that speaks volumes about the type of team you're building here. And I'm not the type of person that's going to go out there and be screaming culture when you lose. But sometimes you need to because you've seen how bad culture can be, and you know this isn't the same team anymore. That's just me. Yeah, and I think you just took that one straight out of what I told you after the game. And you, I, I, I'm going to say I borrowed some of it because it wasn't totally you, but you definitely had the same opinion I do on that one. Yeah, and, I, and I'm the guy that screamed effort and culture all the time, and then this was definitely something different. You know, Maryland folds a lot of the time. They really do, and, and they didn't fold in this game. And uh, you can start from the beginning and, and really look at it is they just missed opportunities. I mean, your quarterback 17 for 36, 241, throws a touchdown in garbage time, throws three picks, uh, was sacked in some really inopportune times, and, and Michael Penix was just off the entire game until he got hurt, six for 19 for 84 yards. I'm kind of like at a loss for words. I don't really know what to say. And you can point to a handful of plays. The first one, Demist wide open in the end zone, misses a throw. You go to the next drive, throws a ball over the middle, should be a touchdown, throws it behind him, it's an interception. And it's hard to, it's really hard to look at it and put it all on the quarterback, but at the same time, it was just out of sequence. And, and that's a huge issue right now for Maryland. When Tungavailoa is off, it looks horrendous. But this has been the problem for Maryland since last season. We know that Mike Loxley's scheme, for better or for worse, is completely dependent on the quarterback making a handful of throws. And he wasn't making them. And that sucks. It really does. But Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Do you disagree with that? I don't disagree with that. But we're not talking about putting the ball in your left hand when you're right-handed and firing at 40 yards. I'm not saying they're hard throws. No, and, and again, you're right. It's it's what I've said for the longest time. A handful of simple plays is the difference between you and winning and losing with this system. I think the issue is, beyond that, these guys only really know how to execute seven plays. They are struggling to do anything different from the script of plays that they run perfectly. And that may be my, by design, but in this game, they were running a set of plays that were working that were different, and they didn't go back to them. I think from a scheme perspective, from a coaching perspective, there's still some issues, and one of which is you're not making plays, and I think the whole thing just broke at a point in this game. Now, the players didn't give up. The defense played fantastically, so you stay in the game. But as far as the offense, they just looked flustered, and they looked like it against Northwestern. We all said they should probably be fired. They looked like it again in this game, but it was a marginally better because of how good the defense was. But at the end of the day, you have to look at it for what it is. The offense was an absolute wreck in a game that you probably should have won against the number 12 team in the country on the road. That's kind of hard to look in the mirror and look at, even though no, there aren't many expectations going into this football game. Yeah, that is true. And, that and makes... the other thing, okay. hold on, the other thing that I have to say is, as far as the offense is concerned, the line was really messed up and they still managed to play okay. In my honest opinion, without Rock Jarrett and Jay Sean Jones, I didn't see that much a hole at wide receiver. Demas is still good. Carrier's all right. Dejon McDougal, I think, is going to be a really good football player. But they still had Demas, Cobbs, Daryl Jones. That's still three of your top like four or five guys at wide receiver. 
But Jones dropped balls. Demas looked like Demas from last year again, you know, leaving balls hanging out to dry that he probably should have caught. And, again, there was just something off on offense, and it came a lot of it came from the quarterback and some really inopportune plays, and, and you're on the wrong side of the fence here. That's a fair assessment. Um, let's let's put, oh, we kind of went over the offense there. Um, running backs, though, I thought looked okay. I do need to say that. I thought, considering the circumstances, Penny Boone and Isaiah Jacob looked serviceable at least. It's a shame Jake Funk is apparently out with COVID. Um, I'm not going to say that for sure because we don't want to make any assumptions, but... He was on the sideline. He was there. Uh, maybe not then. Um, I didn't notice that. Good catch. Well, hold on one second before you breeze by it. The thing about Boone and Jacobs is neither one of them has lead back... I don't want to say talent, but they don't have lead back bodies. Boone is a bowling ball, and I love watching Petty Boone run the ball. He jumped over somebody. I think I was, I, I kind of laughed at it, but really good play. Jacobs, he's just not there yet. But neither of them are Funk or, or Leak or McFarland, and I think a lot of it has to do, again, with the way they're strength and conditioned, and, and they can get it right. I think Boone and or Jacobs will be good, but they're certainly, they're not Funk. No, they're not, and they're both true freshmen. And honestly, I at least they won them redshirting if this is a normal season, and that's something to remember. And you know, they're not there yet, but I'm not. It's so important to note they might be there at some point in the future. Well, and going back, and I don't mean to correct you, they only got three guys. So if it were a normal year, I don't really think either of them would be redshirting. Yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, receivers, we kind of got into already. Okay, back to defense then. This is everybody especially including us, we were all blasting John Harker earlier this season. last two games, defense has been far better than expected. Yeah, and, and they've done a lot of the adjustments that, again, a lot of people, uh, like myself and Jordan, were saying they need to do. Sam O's playing defensive end. Lotez Rogers is decent in the rotation. Uh, Chime was back, which helped them out greatly in, uh, in the pass rush game in this one. And really good scheme. They brought a delayed blitz. Uh, non-stop, they got in Penick's face, and they, and they exposed what Michael Penix isn't good at. And what he's not good at is when there are people in his face, he can't really step up into the throw. And I pointed this out a few weeks ago before they played Ohio State. His footwork isn't correct. It works for him when there's time, but when there's pressure in his face, his release point is extremely low. I think they said that on the TV broadcast. And he kind of whips the ball. And when you whip the ball, if you get guys in your face, you can't really hit throwing lanes. And if you try and force it, the ball either sails on you or goes short, but it doesn't give you uh, good opportunities to make the plays, even if they're there, if there's heavy pressure in your face. And huge credit to Hoke and Brawley and, and Coach Williams and, and Coach Baker and the guys on the defensive staff. They shut those down. They played straight man against a team that's torched everybody in this league without their top corner. And what they do, they designed a scheme. They did what everybody's been begging them to do. Adapt to the players that you have and look at the success. Yeah, um, Henry Baker, I've said this I actually in a text with Mason and somebody else. Henry Baker is, deserves a raise after that one hit. Because like you said, Tariq Still, who might be your best defensive back this season, was out. Um, Nick Cross, was, Nick Cross was out. And that defensive backfield stood up. And I know the pass rush had a lot to do with it, but they played tight coverage. They played man almost the entire game, and they went out there against Fry Fogle, who's been one of the best, maybe the best receiver in the Big Ten this season, and they did not let them get almost anything. And that deserves a credit and a round of applause for them. Yeah, and they didn't get torched by Hendershot, which I thought was good. And they were, again, they were playing so 
little players. Now, the defensive line, they didn't seem to be that many guys out on there. Um, Cherokee Glass now, a guy that doesn't really get much credit, 77 for the Terps who plays some D-tackle. He's been really good this year. And that's a walk-on guy or Juco guy. Uh, I don't think anybody expected him to ever play. He's been great. And, and they just they rotated well. They, they got through the guys. Campbell and Hippolyte uh, played almost the entire game at inside linebacker, if not every snap. Uh, because Gote and Ely were were both uh, unavailable. And they pulled it off. Isaiah Hazel, a guy they took from receiver to defensive back this year, played the entire game as the one deep safety. Which is a hard one, job. Made one really, really bad play. But that was it. He stepped up, almost intercepted a pass. I'm not exactly sure how a four-star guy dropped that ball. But y- you play with the guys you have. And I think this showed it. you know. And all these COVID games have shown it. If you are together as a team, if you have the right mindset going into a game, you can survive one game, two games without your best players. When it gets to three, it gets tougher. And I've told you that time and time again about a bunch of different teams. When somebody is hurt for one game, the rest of the team steps up and they play as hard as possible because they won't lose because that guy's hurt or that guy can't play. They won't do it. You have a natural step up in what happens in your mindset as an athlete and as a competitor. And Maryland had that. And what I will give them credit for, like you said, is last year, I don't think they would have had that. I think they would have folded. The year before, definitely folded. Well, not the year before. The Matt Canada year, they were consistently competitive over the entire season. But in the dark and air is what you're saying. Yeah. And I think we all know that. They would have folded like a lawn chair before, and they didn't do that today. And that's what you have to take away from it. Other than that, it's a loss. You go back, you can correct what's correctable. That's a quote from Loxley. And you move on. Next week, you have a winnable football game. Next week, you got to bring it the same way you did in this game. And I don't think Michigan will score a point against you. You just got to suit up and you got to keep playing. Get the guys back that are going to come back in this 21-day window and keep fighting. Keep playing this hard because this is how you get people to buy into your program. This is how you have your recruits watch the team and say, I want to go play for those guys because they play hard. Not only will I get on the field, but I can see myself winning there against the number 12 team in the country. Now, is Indiana number 12? I, I don't really know. I, I, I'm, I'm losing patience with your Indiana slander this season, Mason, because I think you're making excuses for a team that's 5-1 and one and lost by 7 points to Ohio State. But I don't think Ohio State's that good after watching that. After watching that game, I wish full-strength Maryland got their shot at Ohio State. I can't really dispute that. Um, all right, well, I don't know how much else we have to say. It is possible still this season. We do have to raise this, even though this isn't really Maryland-related, that Indiana or Northwestern might play for the Big Ten Championship. And if you said that you saw that coming this decade, I wouldn't believe you. The Indiana part, I'll give you credit for. I would never thought that. Northwestern, they've been there. It's just the combination of the two. Those are the two worst programs of the Big Ten. That's the only thing that really raises my eyebrows about that. Um, but One last thing on football, and okay. I think we're about out of here, is I will say I, as a fan and somebody that's, I mean, someone has watched this team for a long time, you got to be proud of the effort that they play with this year. I'm not just talking about in this game where they had 23 guys out, but it seems like finally – Something is going in the right direction, not only in recruiting, not only in, you know, different areas off the field, whatever, but on the field, it looks like there's actually a chance for a consistent team that can be competitive in any game. And that, I think, is what a lot of fans have looked for for a long time. 
is do they beat Ohio State or Michigan when they're top-tier teams? Do they beat the top-tier teams in the Big Ten? No, but can they put competitive games out at least once or twice a year against the top teams? Because you're probably going to get a chance in a normal season at about four or five top 25 teams. Can we compete in most of them? I think so. And that's that's kind of the look of it that you got to love. But fix what's fixable, and we'll, we'll talk about this game more midweek of what they have coming up against Michigan, which I think they'll be favored to win, and I think they will win. Yep, uh, I guess we'll come back at you Wednesday now after the Towson game and before the George Mason game in basketball. This is the most stressful time of the year for our podcast, Mason, because we got basketball and football going at the same time. Yeah, and it's good to see. You know, both of these teams are playing. I think Maryland had that game against Towson back-pocketed uh, for if Monmouth got or Monmouth or any other team got canceled, they would have thrown a game in there against either Towson or UMBC. You know, just try to fit another one in. And they, and they did a great job of having that game, you know, set up within hours of the cancellation. Uh, and, you know, it's good to see. We're playing three sports, and, and hopefully they'll just keep playing and stay clean and clear and healthy of uh, all the issues that the world has right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited on both fronts. I think Maryland has a chance to finish the season out 4-2, and two, which, I mean, four wins. If you, even if they had four losses, I would be happy with that at the end of the year. But we'll see what happens. You know, it's, it's an optimistic time, I think, for both of these teams. And hopefully, again, hopefully they get to finish the actual season. In both cases, yes. And hopefully we hear something about the other winter sports because I know we're supposed to play them, but uh, I haven't keep my ear to the ground. I'm not hearing much right now. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot out of, again, mid, very mid-major schools uh, that their fingers are crossed. I mean, they're hoping they can get it off in the spring season. They have no idea in terms of administration and conference-wise what is exactly going on right now because in the end of it, even if you're at a small school or a big school, you're going to try and jam in like 12 to, if Maryland's case, like, 17 sports playing at the same time. And figuring that out, as you know from being in an athletic department, and I know from being in an athletic department, the personnel, you definitely are thin. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, some sc- some schools I've been um, heard from, they're talking about doing interns as the only point of contact. Like, it's really stretched thin, and this is going to be a mystery of nightmare. So if they actually do this, hats off to athletic departments because it's going to be tough to pull off. But we'll have to see what happens. This COVID thing is not going away, so we'll see how many seasons actually get off. Yeah, and I think from a school like a Maryland with the support that the Big Ten will provide them and does provide them, they have a much better chance than your smaller schools of getting at least some stagger starts in and, or playing the sport. My priority will be playing the sports that are supposed to play in the spring. If you play a fall sport and we can't get it done too bad, you know, your, your season was already done. But the spring sports, I, I think, need to be the priority. And I think they will be the priority nationally uh, of getting like baseball and lacrosse and you know the sports that are supposed to play in that time uh, a season if they can have them in any fashion. But we'll see what happens, and we'll be back on Wednesday to talk, um, I guess, more Terps football and basketball. Yes, we will. But until then, stay safe. And as always, thanks for listening. And we'd like to thank our sponsors, Viner Four Gates and Rockville, for all of your business IT needs. Viner Four Gates is your place to go. Get tech support from Terps that you know with Viner Four Gates. You can reach them at 301-251-2900 or on the web at oneviner.com. And Allied Party Rentals, toast your event outside and safely 
all the materials that you need. Allied is your place to go. You can visit them at alliedpartyrentals.com. We'll be back on Wednesday. And as always, thanks for listening.